Welcome to the Psychosomatic Medicine Podcast. You're in bed, flipping your body from one side to the other, wondering if that sweet but oh-so-elusive refuge of sleep will ever come. Then you start wondering about how that lack of sleep is going to affect the day ahead. Not to add to your concerns, but your worry is reasonably well-founded, as poor sleep quality, over time, has been shown to contribute to mood disorders and is a risk factor for conditions including cardiovascular disease and diabetes. Scientists want to know what is going on in the brain of someone who experiences problems sleeping. What in the brain provides the physiologic link between sleep difficulties and these other problems? My name is Victoria White. I'm the Managing Editor for Manuscript Production for Psychosomatic Medicine. I'm joined today by Eric A. Prather, the lead author of a new study in the journal, Pete Gennaros, an Associate Editor of Psychosomatic Medicine, and Martika Hall, a sleep expert at the University of Pittsburgh. We will be discussing Dr. Prather's article titled, Impact of Sleep Quality on Amygdala Reactivity, Negative Affect, and Perceived Stress. Dr. Prather is at the University of California. The research team also includes scientists at Duke University and Washington University in St. Louis. Eric, you have a lot going on in this study. Complex relationships among various measures of mood, stress, and sleep quality, and neuroimaging data from scans of research volunteers as they look at pictures of facial expressions. Can you walk us through what you were doing in this research? Absolutely, and, and thank you for having me. Yes, this is a, a complex study, and it couldn't have been possible without kind of the clear interdisciplinary collaboration with the neuroscientists, as you mentioned, doctors Ryan Bogdan and, and Ahmad Hariri. Ahmad Hariri is the director of the Duke Neurogenetics Study at Duke University, where this uh, study was uh, part of an ongoing investigation of uh, the neurogenetic pathways of variation in human behavior. And as part of this study, we, we looked at 299 healthy college students aged 18 to 22 years old. And as part of their enrollment in this study, uh, they completed a questionnaire battery assessing their mood symptoms, including depression, stress, anxiety, as well as a global measure of sleep quality, namely the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index. Also, part of their protocol was to take part in a neuroimaging component, including functional MRI, to look at the brain activation in, in response to a variety of different stimuli, including an amygdala reactivity paradigm. As you mentioned, it's characterized by a perceptual face-matching task where they looked at faces of varying emotional expressions, including anger and fearful facial expressions, as well as surprised and neutral. We focused on anger and fear in this study, and we were interested in the magnitude at which someone's amygdala responds to these uh, threatening stimuli and how that's related to their emotional experience in their daily lives and the extent to which sleep might modulate this link. Um, we're really interested in the extent to which sleep disturbance is a predictor of psychopathology as well as kind of lower level measures of negative affect and the mechanisms. And there's been emerging evidence that the amygdala and the magnitude at which it responds to threatening stimuli might be an important neurobiological pathway. And so what we found in this study was that first, that the task elicited what it was supposed to elicit. So when they were exposed to fear or anger faces, we saw bilateral activation of the amygdala. But what was most interesting to us was that amygdala reactivity to fearful faces predicted greater depressive symptoms and higher scores on the perceived stress scale. But this was only the case in individuals who also reported poor global sleep quality. So this turns out to be a higher score on the P Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index. But in contrast, in better sleepers, 
the association between amygdala reactivity and these measures of negative affect were non-significant, suggesting there's something about um, having poor sleep that seems to tie the relationship between amygdala reactivity to threat and their daily experience of a negative affect together. Dr. Gennaros, let's turn to you. What did you think of the study? Well, I think this is an impressive study. I I think it's also very thought-provoking. Uh, it adds to understanding of, of how the brain might connect sleep with our emotions, as well as how stressful we perceive the world to be. I also thought it was thought-provoking in the sense that some of the findings uh, appeared to differ between men and women. So I was curious, uh, Eric, what your thoughts are on why you saw um, that some of your observations uh, differed between uh, men and women and what the clinical implications of this work might be. Right. So, so that, that's a great point, Pete. So the other, the other interesting finding in this, in this study was that the effects that we saw, the, the modulatory effects of sleep, the extent to which amygdala reactivity and, and these experiences of negative affect were significant in poor sleepers, this seemed to be the case in men and not in women. Um, the reasons for this divergence is unclear to me. There's certainly some evidence that suggests gender disparities in emotional regulation and, and responsiveness. Potentially, the differences in tendencies to report negative emotions in sleep disturbance varies by gender. And so what might explain this is, is kind of anybody's guess, but there's certainly some growing evidence for such gender disparities. So, Eric? As a sleep researcher, I was, first of all, just really happy to see this kind of work being done because, as you know, there's a very strong link between sleep and depression and anxiety and other psychopathologies, and there's also a strong relationship between sleep and stress. And so this takes it into the brain and asks, is this one particular part of the brain? And you talked earlier about bilateral activation. So that just means, just to be clear, um, we're talking about this part of the brain that's uh, important for emotion and emotional responses. Both sides of the brain are lighting up, right, in, in response to these uh, fear faces, correct? Correct. Okay, so, so I was um, really excited about uh, these data. And I had a couple of questions. I'll start with the first one, which is, as a sleep researcher and coming from Pittsburgh, where we, we developed the PISCI. So this is a questionnaire that asks about how people feel about their sleep. So it's a subjective, qualitative rating. But as you know, the questionnaire includes all different kinds of things that could cause a person to complain about their sleep right? So some people could have short sleep and say, you know, I'm not sleeping very long, in which case they could get a, a check mark on a PISCI. So, so bad, right? So less than six hours. Or somebody could say they wake up a lot during the night. And I'm just wondering, since the scores were actually really pretty low, and that's, that actually makes the findings really remarkable, right? So these are not people who are having really big sleep complaints. So what I was thinking is, do we know anything about what these folks were complaining about? Do you know if it was sleep duration, so how much sleep folks got, really just how they felt about their sleep? Have you done any probing to ask what about sleep quality was important to this relationship? 
Right, and I think I think that you you really hit on it there, Tika. I mean, this is what's exciting about it is you 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 find this relationship, but you know when you want to kind of extend this work to um, have some clinical meaning potentially, you want to know what the active ingredient is, what it is that is you know driving this relationship. What is what is it about the sleep disturbance that we might be able to act on? And as you mentioned, the PISCI is you know made up of seven components. And so there may be one of those things are driving this, this association. I will say that I have looked at the components specifically to try and to try and tease these apart. And, you know, honestly, there wasn't kind of a clear winner, unfortunately. I mean, it wasn't that duration was driving or continuity. I think overall, as I recall, it was, you know, it was the sleep quality self-report piece of the PISCI that carried more of the, the relationship. However, you know, one of the beauties of the PISCI is that the global index itself seems to give you something more than the individual components ever could. When Vicki introduced your paper, one of the things she talked about to people out on the web who, who might be interested in this topic was, you know, do you have trouble sleeping at night and, and how might that be related to how you interact with and feel about the world? Um, and, and what your article shows and then what you've just explained in terms of it being sort of a general qualitative thing about sleep that's important for this relationship is that there is a relationship there. One thing that, that I would like you to reflect on, if you would, is um, the question that scientists ask, uh, which can sound kind of complicated, but is the question of directionality. So in the paper you refer to the brain um, and these responses to fear uh, sort of driving the symptoms of depression and anxiety or, or depression and stress, excuse me, and sleep of, uh, interacting with them. And I'm just wondering if you thought about whether these arrows sort of, you know, who's the perpetrator here and who's the effect might be different than you uh, describe in the paper. Yeah, so it, it's actually something that I spend uh, a fair amount of my research time um, working on is this directionality. And I think, you know, given this cross-sectional nature of the sample, it certainly is not something that can be addressed in this study. But, you know, there's, you know, well-established evidence that poor sleep, you know, st stressful experience during the day is has a strong effect on on the the degree to which someone has restful sleep less less so in the other direction there's you know surprisingly a s smaller amount of literature showing that poor sleep actually impacts one's sensitivity to stressful ex to stress exposure and i thought that that this particular study could shed light on that showing that you know individuals who have poor sleep you know might be that might be um, you know the the brain reactivity to a threatening stimulus, you know, sleep may modulate that and, and its relationship to, uh, you know, self-reported feelings of negative affect. But I, I agree with you, the, the bidirectionality is, is kind of a, a critical question to try and tease out and has certainly different implications for kind of our understanding of how sleep works, its relationship to emotional experience, and then kind of this, this new area of uh, neurobiology. I mean, there's certainly been, you know, some kind of seminal work from Matt Walker's lab at UC Berkeley, you know, using sleep manipulation 
to look at kind of the influence on neural functioning and and uh, and specifically, you know, an acute a night of acute sleep loss uh, is has been shown when when in a in an experimental design that this is related to exaggerated amygdala responsiveness uh, to this same negative stimuli task compared to controls who have a, a healthy night's sleep. And this was just an example of extending this to kind of less extreme forms of sleep loss where mo- milder sleep disturbances that are more common in, in community samples. Do you have any way of knowing at this point whether you would find similar things in a different age of a population? Because you're, you're, the people in the study were, were quite young. Right. Yeah. So, so one of the nice things of working with a, a young age population is that there's a lot of them and they want to they do research, particularly at, at Duke University. And so it's, it's kind of an ideal place to begin to disentangle these, these questions and do so in a, a relatively healthy sample. And so that that's the bonus. The the kind of the, the drawback, of course, is that it may not be representative uh, across the life course. And certainly, we know that sleep changes across the life course. Certainly, Tika can can speak to to that in some of her work. Uh, but and so so how this relationship will change is kind of an open question, and certainly uh, one that's worth pursuing, given differing rates of psychopathology as we as we. Uh, change across the life course and the, the extent to which sleep may be an active contributor in some but not other uh, populations. Certainly the, the values that, that were observed in the study in terms of the sleep quality complaints were, you know, as we've already mentioned, Vicki, um, pretty darn low. And so that, to me, that's what makes the results so remarkable is that despite the fact that you, you, the sleep complaints were really I mean, I'd be happy to have a PISCI score of four, <laughs> which is what the folks in these in this sample on average had. And um, the results were found despite the fact that the complaints were not very high. It's really quite remarkable. So, I mean, I think, you know, taken in the broader context, I think this study provides an important extension of the existing laboratory evidence showing that normative variability in global sleep quality modulates these neural threat processes, negative affect and perceived stress. And this was particularly the case among men. And then I think if replicated and extended further, I think these findings may, may yield opportunities for intervention, particularly given the fact that sleep serves as a malleable health behavior. And I think that that's particularly important. One of the, kind of the missions of the, the type of work that I've, I, I do is to really raise the profile of sleep as a kind of you know, important table leg of health behaviors up there with diet and exercise. And this is just another example to which sleep, you know, play, clearly plays a, a crucial role in, in this case, uh, neural threat processing and effective experience. And I think, you know, the, the more that researchers begin to pay mind to the, the influence of sleep, I think the, the better off uh, we'll all be in the long run as far as our scientific knowledge and advancing health. That concludes our discussion of the article by Dr. Eric Prather and his group. To read the article, please visit the Psychosomatic Medicine website at www.psychosomaticmedicine.org. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or other podcatcher software. Music